Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. Ten years ago, I was preaching a sermon, standing somewhere here, and I mentioned that we had just gotten two puppies. And I was trying to remember this week why I had even mentioned them, what what they had to do with anything. Maybe just, well, call it puppy love. I, I don't know what it was, but I'm telling you a story that we had gotten two puppies. So I have an update today. That was 10 years ago. Well, we lost one of them this summer. And uh, any of you who have pets, beloved pets, know you then face a decision. How do we handle this loss Do we do the sensible thing that all dads know, and you say, you know, we still have one really good dog? Or do you do sort of the emotional, well, you know, we need, we need another puppy. We've got one, but we need to get back to two. Okay. Well. So, uh, so this was the discussion in our house, and um, you, you sort of know which way, like I was leaning, uh, you know, but, um, you know, I'm having this conversation with Karen, with my wife, and she's feeling strongly that we should start again, get another puppy. And my daughters, meanwhile, uh, no help to me, were, were on the internet uh, pulling up pictures of puppies and sending them to Karen. Great. They will be receiving no Christmas gifts for the foreseeable future. So it's basically four against one, but you know, that's, what, that's how it works when you live with all women. But okay, but basically it came down to Karen and me. Now I'm going to ask you how you think this worked out. And as you're voting, uh, just, just bear in mind that, you know, in, in a sense you are voting based on your own experience of how these discussions with your partners have worked out. But, but before you, are you ready to vote? But before you vote, just bear in mind that I'm not just any husband in a discussion uh, with, with his wife. Oh, no. I am Dr. Van Johnson with great authority having it, right? Right, can you feel it? Having a discussion uh, with, with my wife. So I'm going to ask you to vote which way you, you think this went. How many think that um, my view uh, won the day? Uh, Jeff, I don't think the, uh, the PA system is working. I think I saw. <laughs> uh, it, it, what, what happened to men's solidarity here? Like, can I at least, you know, like something? Okay, how many think that uh, Karen's view um, won the day? Oh, boy.
Hey, don't be clapping. And don't let that face fool you. She is not a Christian. Coco leaves destruction wherever she goes. She, she's biting everything. She's biting us. There's a piece of my right ankle I haven't been able to find in the last couple days. You've had, uh, you've had puppies? Yes? <laughs> so, I mean, like, okay, like, okay. It's, it's good that you're reminding me how good this could possibly be, but it's been pandemonium. Come on, Dr. Ben, it's not that bad. No, the first day was really good. Not the first night, but the first day was great. You know, this little ball of fur, you know, licking you, right? I'm thinking, okay, why did I ever take a stand that this was a, a bad idea? Boy, this is just great, and I'm feeling puppy love all over again. Then the first night. Well, you, you, can't, you can't let a, a little puppy just go wherever she wants to do whatever she wants to do, wherever she wants to do it. So you, you, you do what many uh, puppy owners are encouraged to do. It's called crate training, yes? Uh, you, you put them basically in a prison, just recently separated from, from their mother, don't have a clue where they are. You put them in a prison and you turn the lights off, right? So, right. Crate training is what we call it. It's a nice euphemism for locking them up, right? So, of course, we, we did this. I mean, so, <laughs> can, I, can I, Coco, see you, see you in a bit? Turn the lights on. We get about this far away, and it, and it starts. Oh, no, it's not barking. It would have been easier if it was barking, but it's, um, it's whimpering, right? And by the time you get settled in your bed and you turn the radio on and the fan so you can't hear it, it's become, it's become full-blown weeping. After about an hour of... Oh, it'll, it'll stop, fan. It'll stop, yeah. After about an hour of this, you start hearing voices. What kind of person are you? Right, right. And you call yourself a Christian, right? Like, like here's this little baby... Um, so crate training lasted about uh, an hour and 15 minutes. And uh, open the door and Coco's free and we turn off the lights. And the next morning, our floor looks like the Muskokas. Little lakes everywhere. Surrounded by brown rolling hills. And while you're trying to get rid of the lakage on your floor, uh, meanwhile, little Coco is biting your leg, and you're thinking, okay, this is why I took a strong stand. Uh, not so strong, not so good. So why did we do it? Because we've had a puppy before, and we know there's a better future <laughs> someday. Oh, come quickly. Lord Jesus, while I still have socks, Lord, come quickly. There's a better day ahead. And so we are living based on a future hope. Welcome to our series on living backwards. Because we can see the future, God's future, in a way we can look back on the present and say, okay, Based on the way this is going to end, this is the way that I'm going to live now. And my particular task this morning is to start the series, thank you, Pastor Jonathan, for the invitation, 
and look at how we live with the end in sight, and by the end in sight, we mean the end in sight, and consider what, uh, what our hope is based on how the Bible describes eternity uh, to us. Okay, so that's where we will go today. Lord, we ask for your help in these next few moments. Help us to hear your word, sharpen our faith, settle our hope, so we might live in a way that's worthy of your calling upon us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Since, since we're trying to think about how to live backwards, let's move backwards in the text. So what I would like to do is start with the book of Revelation and work all the way back to uh, the beginning, to Genesis. You think, Dr. Van, that's going to take a long time. No. This, this sermon is tailor-made for this service. And so we are going to do a swift eras tour of four different eras, the, the end, <laughs> the... Uh, Present, the past, and then we'll go back to the beginning. Pastor Jonathan said, Van, just, um, just give us a good idea of what heaven is. So we're going to go to Revelation 21, the second to last chapter in the Bible. We're going to go to Revelation 21. And I think this is the best glimpse of the nature of heaven, and you will notice that the focus here is not on architecture, place as such, but rather the emphasis here is on what we experience, the presence of God, which is what makes it heavenly. If, if home is where the heart is, then heaven is where the presence of God is. There's been successive visions by, that, that have been relayed in the book of Revelation now we're coming towards the, the last couple scenes. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. When, we, when, when I use the term heaven today, uh, this verse invites me to see heaven as in some way incorporating a new heaven and a new earth. Okay? But, but, but heaven, heaven's going to work for us here. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. <laughs> I remember reading this verse in, in a camp meeting. And afterwards, a couple of the campers came up and we were settled beside a really nice lake. The camp was on a lakeside. And a couple of them said, Dr. Van, this is really upsetting to us because we love to swim and fish, and, right? And, and of course, you know, get away from the camp and people are going on cruises, and, right? That, that's not the point here. What, what John sees is the elimination of the sea as not recreation, but as destructive, as chaos, water everywhere. Not just little lakes. Sea. John says, when I saw the new heaven and the new earth, chaos was gone. I saw the holy city, the, the new Jerusalem, the place associated with the presence of God, coming down out of heaven 
from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. So in a sense, what, is, what would be understood as the locus of God's presence is coming down to earth, and then we see this. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Heaven is God's dwelling with us in such a way that God's presence is so powerful, so dominant, that everyone and everything is changed as a result. No more distance between, Lord, are you there? No more distance. God is, God, you are there. The presence of God is so dominant that it changes every one of us and everything. Heaven, then, is being together in God's presence. We will, we will be gathered there. Uh, heaven, heaven, is not, uh, heaven is not a solitary place. Heaven is where we are gathered as the people of God. How will we get there? The great hope of the church has always been the return of Jesus. That has not changed. And when Jesus returns, the dead in Christ from every era and the faithful Israelites from every era will be gathered and resurrected. Resurrected. They will assume some type of bodily form again. Jewish hope, Christian hope is that we are not just disembodied spirits floating in the sky. We look again like people the way we were created at first, body and spirit, is reconstituted. So I, I assume then, with many others, that we will be able to recognize one another that we will stand together in a place like this and we'll recognize so and so and so and so. Obviously, there's going to be some changes in the way we look now. Some of us will be requesting makeovers. I mean, if this is your look for eternity, you want it to be good, yes? There'll be some changes. I won't need glasses. And Pastor Jonathan... He will have hair. <laughs> Red, heavenly hair. What a day that will be. When your head of hair I shall see. Uh, what, what makes heaven heaven is that we are together, knowing one another in the presence of God and God knows us, we're not just a crowd. Um, let's go back one. Right? We're not the backdrop, we're not just a good crowd to make it festive. He will wipe every tear 
Uh, he knows us now. He'll know us then. Had noticed then the conditions. No more death and the chaos that it creates. No more mourning. No more crying in the night. No more pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Heaven is the place that we've always dreamed of. You know, in those difficult moments, if only this was right again, if only I felt better about this, heaven is that moment. And there's no issue between us and our Lord. And there's no issue between us and the community of the people of God. So there's no reason for any more pain or mourning or crying, even in the middle of the night. Okay, now this is the the common view of the Christian about what the future looks like. And I think think maybe the older you get, you start to think about it a little bit more. But this is the hope of the Christian. Okay, but what about now, though? So what should we expect in the lead-up to this glorious scene? And here, the Christian world is divided, and I'm going to suggest there's two primary views. Let's roll back to... Uh, to the the present. Let's roll back from the future, the end, to the present era. I'm going to take us to the book of Acts. I think the book of Acts is, biblically speaking, the era that we still live in. And so I often take my cues as to where I should put my emphasis in how I live and what I teach based on what's happening in the book of Acts. Let's go particularly to the day of Pentecost. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. And let's take a look at that great moment when upon the 120, the Spirit of God falls, the day of Pentecost. And Peter, trying to explain to a bewildered crowd who had heard about the strange thing that was happening, tries to explain to them what this is. And he quotes Joel chapter 2. So let's, let's read what Peter said to them. Peter stands up in front of them. We're in Acts 2.17. He's quoting from Joel chapter 2, and Peter starts the quotation with, in the last days. Peter's trying to say that what, that what was only a dream for Joel is now happening. These are those good days they waited for. The last days, in other words, are really good. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit, the spirit of power, the spirit that transforms. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Everyone will be a candidate for this transforming power of God. The last days are really good, Peter is saying by quoting this, and it starts now on the day of Pentecost. Your sons and daughters, no difference based on gender, will prophesy. In other words, they will declare what God is doing. 
Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. No, no age differential. And maybe some of you have heard me say this before. It's not that young people see visions and old people have dreams because they're falling asleep all the time. This is just two different ways of saying the same thing. God will be revealing what he's doing, whether in dreams or visions. Even on my servants, even on those that you don't really notice because they're Their head is down and they're serving. Both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. This this is a sacred text of Pentecostals. In fact, the Pentecostal tradition is named after what happened on the day of Pentecost. Please note, in our DNA, there is a heritage that says the last days are really good. We're in those days. But then Peter keeps quoting Joel. Now look which direction he goes. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. The last days are difficult days. There are days of evil and there are days of judgment. Okay. So there, 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 are, there are two opposite camps in terms of how we should perceive the last days. And you've just seen two texts that could be used to support them. It's getting really good, or let's start with this one, because this is where we are now. It's going to get really bad. The trajectory of of the world is this direction. It's a narrative of decline. It's all going down. The roller coaster is not coming back up. You're going straight down. Hang on to the safety bars for all you're worth. Survival is the key. Because it's going this way. And within this system, this is how the idea of a rapture fits in. It's going to get so bad that God in his mercy has to lift us out up before it becomes absolute chaos. Seven final years of absolute destruction on the face of the earth. That's one view. I think it's a little bit pessimistic, to be honest. And I think it does something to us that uh, displeases the Lord. If you fall too much for this, Instead of acting with courage and joy and hopefulness, we become fearful and suspicious and we latch on to conspiracy theories. You know what they're doing to us now? Even if they don't even know they are a they, that's always they. Because it's, right? So you just, we shelter in place. I don't really know if that pleases the Spirit of God who's been poured out upon the face of the earth to give us power to be transformed and transform others. I just think that's a bit pessimistic. On the other hand, and some of you may have never heard this one, but there is a whole group of believers and teachers who tell us that the world is not going this way, it's going this way. And the world is actually getting better, and it will keep getting better until it gets so good that in a sense we will have heaven on earth as Jesus is arriving. 
In other words, when it has gotten so good, then Jesus arrives. Not that he comes before it gets horrific, but he comes because it's gotten so good. You heard of that one. I think maybe that's a little bit optimistic. Have you seen the uh, news on Facebook lately? Oh, yeah. Have you, have you seen the news? You know, I think, um, I think biblically, it's better not to be too optimistic and too pessimistic about the near future, about the present. But I think this is a better biblical view. I think it's this one. Oh, I feel a little bit like John Travolta on, you know, Saturday Night Fever, so I'll just change this. But, but I do. I think, I think this is the more biblical view. I take both parts of the Joel prophecy to be true. Because God is pouring out his spirit, there is a response. These are not balanced powers. God is trending. God is sovereign. For though the wrong, do you know this hymn? For though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my father's world. Uh, I think because God's spirit's being poured out, there's a response. And so it's not an even fight. And in some ways, the world continues to get better. Look, it's gotten better for many of us in this room. The acts of kindness, the... Uh, that we're doing in this church is making sure, like things, there's some things that are happening that are really good. Now, I don't have to tell you that there's war in Ukraine and oh my goodness, are you not sort of just in somewhat turmoil about what's gonna happen in, in Israel? And, but in some ways it's getting really good because what has initiated the evil is that God is doing something. And so this is a time not to shelter in place, but to be courageous and find something that God is doing, something that's happening that is good, and jump in and be a part of it. Because there's a lot of good to be done. I, I think that's a better biblical view. Okay, let's, let's go back to the past. So if we're going to live with the end in sight then, if there is both good things happening and responses that are, that are uh, not so good, then, then how, should we, how should we live? How do we live with the end in sight? I want to give you a couple specifics here from Paul. If Paul were here today and we asked him, Paul, can you give us a simple description of how we should live in light of our future hope? You know, I'm quite confident he would mention three different words. Faith, love, and hope. I say that because it appears in many of his letters and it appears right at the beginning of his letter to the Colossians. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ, Jesus, and of the love you have for all God's people the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you. The word could be uh, because, that, that's a nice translation, I like it. But Paul is saying that our faith in Jesus and our love for each other is grounded in this future hope. We're living with the end in sight, right? 
the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the message of the gospel. Paul, what's the message of the gospel? I think he's just given it to us. Hey, by the way, just, just a quick aside. I really think this is uh, worth remembering because uh, I've used it, and you might want to use it too. When somebody asks you a question about the nature of your faith, uh, you're a Christian, what does that mean? I really like this simple explanation because I think it captures it. Oh, what do I mean by a Christian? Well, I have faith in Jesus. He, to me, he's, he's, he's the one. He's my savior. And um, I regularly get together with others and um, we're part of this community of love and service. We, we love each other. And I just don't think this is, all, this is all there is. And so we have a hope that there's a glorious future. The God who created the world is going to recreate it. And it's going to be really good. I think that's a really nice description of who we are. Faith in Jesus. Love for one another. Future hope. Now, when we get a little further in Colossians 1, uh, Paul will talk about the significance of faith in Christ Jesus as the one who died. And so we're now in the past era. Let's look at the significance of the death of Christ for how we live towards the future, right? The significance of the past for the future. Ah, look at this. Once you were alienated from God, and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. To present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Paul says, remember the cross. Your faith is in the one who died for you. You once were, perhaps unbeknownst to you, you were actually uh, apart from God. In fact, the way that you were thinking and acting was actually running contrary to what God is trying to do. If God is pouring out his spirit to bring transformation and change, what you were doing and how you were thinking was actually working in cross purposes. In a sense, you were enemies of God. Maybe you didn't even know it, Paul said, but now you know. Now that you've... Now that you've connected with God, you realize that there was a time when you really could not say that you knew God. That's in the past. Paul is saying here that faith in Jesus involves a transfer. Because of the cross, you are able to cross over from being on this side of what God is doing and step right into the middle of it. Once you were alienated, but now through the cross, you've been transferred and notice and transformed. Not just a change of location, not just new real estate, not just a new encampment, but with the transfer that happens because of the cross, there is a change in you because once you begin to experience the presence of God, you start to change. 
If heaven is the dominating presence of God, so much so that no one or nothing can remain the same, so it is a new heaven and a new earth. That starts the moment that you meet Jesus. And so you're not just changing teams, you are a new player. And this is the goal of this transformation. Not that you're just a nicer person than what you were, than you once were, more peaceful, but you're actually becoming more, that in God's presence, you're actually becoming more like God to present you wholly like God is. In his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. When you say we have faith in Jesus, we are saying we believe he has moved us from there to here, and he is changing us. Faith in Jesus is transfer and transformation. Now, let's come to the aspect of where we come in in terms of what we do. We've been describing what God does. Transfers us, spirit of God, the power of God that brings transformation working in us. But Paul says, but there's a part that we play too. This, this great view of the future involves us holding our ground. Now that we've moved, staying put. Let's take a look at this text. If you continue in your faith. Established, firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant now I rejoice in what I am suffering. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. for the sake of his body, which is the church. You know, you, you have to wonder why Paul is even putting an if clause in here and why he has to encourage us not to move from hope. Who, who would move from such a glorious vision of hope? Who, who would want to change that future vision? But, but Paul knows that when, you, that when you make a faith commitment to Jesus, it involves you too. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out for you. Why, why would anybody move? Because it costs you something right now. Paul knows it, and he's about to illustrate it with his own life. The reason you have to hold your ground is because we're still here. And we're aiming here, but we're still here. And it'll cost you something. Of course, uh, we do this all the time, though. Uh, within, within, you know, a shorter time period. We, okay, you know the phrase. No pain. Sure. So you sign up for the gym, right? You, you get the guest pass. You, you know, you feel good after that workout, right? So you, okay, sign up for how, how many years? Okay, so you sign up. But hey, no pain. Uh, no gain. So, you know, you're, you're, you, have, you, you pay up front 
well, yes, you pay up front, and then you do the work, and you, you know, after some sweating and some pumping and some groaning, you hope for a better body. People do it all the time. You save up your money. You, um, you save up your credit card points. You, you know, you don't do some things you might want to do with it now, but you save it up until, right? We do this, like we do this all the time. We do it with dieting, right? Sacrifice now a little bit. Hey, by the way, I have found the perfect diet. Don't be looking at me right now. I haven't tried it yet, but I have found the perfect diet. You ready? Stop eating. There's a downside. You die. But it is called a diet. But you look great at your funeral. Did, did you see the way Van looked lying there? Yes, he looks like just fantastic, right? It'll cost you something. When I was beginning my uh, doctoral program, there were a group of us students that all came together and got to know each other, and one of my best friends was Don. And within, within a year of me having met him, he had met the love of his life. Uh, she, she was lovely. And um, she, she died of cancer. And I do remember being in the, the student common room. You know, they gave us a room to chat and meet. And I remember sitting there, and everybody else was gone. They'd all headed off to their the library, their study carols, and Don catches me as I'm walking out the door. He says, Van, you're a New Testament scholar. I braced myself. He said, uh, you're a New Testament scholar. Can you please tell me what this verse means about filling up Christ's afflictions? I wish I had that moment back. I mean, we, ch we chatted other times, but my answer was, I'll tell you what it was. I said, Don, to be honest, uh, I don't think about that verse that much. Look, uh, in the Pentecostal tradition, we like to focus on deliverance. I got faith. I'm going to move that mountain. You know, we'd rather talk about being healed. Over we're overcomers, right? There's no real problems in the world. There's only challenges. Filled with the Spirit. I said, Don, I really don't, I, look, you're my friend, but I just don't think about this first. Oh, boy, what a stupid answer. Well, I've thought a lot about it since. And with time, I've experienced some of it, too. And Don was trying to come to grips with why he would have to experience such pain when he had known such intimacy. Believing that the best is yet to come means you have to accept that there's going to be some, uh, right? And of course, this is exactly what Paul is telling you. 
the, the end of the book of Acts tells us that Paul spent two years preaching in Rome, and then the book ends, boom. We're going to, we're supplying to do a series on Acts in the new year. You get to that last verse, and it ends on a moment of high note, triumph. And I think the reason that Luke ends it that way is because he knew everybody knew. He knew that everybody knew what had actually happened to Paul. He was there as a prisoner awaiting trial, and he was able to preach for two years as a prisoner because, boom, end of story, they killed him. But before Paul even got there, he said, I am, I am identifying with the Christ who suffered, and I know it's part of my mission for being somebody who proclaims and lives the gospel. I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of our community and for the sake of others that will come. Of course, he's only following the model of Jesus. You know the verse from Hebrews 12? Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Paul says, uh, continue, don't give up, don't lose your nerve, don't lose your trust, and hold on to it and live like it, even, even. Uh, many of you are aware exactly how this works because you're in the middle of it, yes? And I, I just want to, as I was praying about this, preparing this, I just wanted to take a brief moment and say this word about it before we move back to the very beginning, Galatians 1, and then we'll close. Uh, be, be careful you don't rank your spirituality based on a balance sheet of how many victories and how many struggles you have. Don't, do Don't think that God really loves you when everything seems to be going. Don't do that. Please don't do that. In fact, Paul seems to be suggesting that if you really are going, you're going to have some of in fact, you might wonder if there's something wrong with your Christianity, if there's no pushback, if there's no challenge. When the Spirit comes upon an individual, God begins to change that person through the power of the Spirit. And as you become active with the Spirit, you try to bring that change positively to those, to your community, to those around you, and there's bound to be pushback, and there's bound to be moments when you think, I'm I'm facing an affliction here, but you're facing an affliction because of a future hope, because you know which direction history is going, and you want to be a part of it. There's a lot of good things to be done. So we are not victims if we suffer for Christ. We are change agents who the Holy Spirit is empowering. And yes, we take our hits, but how is there any gain without a certain amount of sacrifice? So... I know you're in the middle of it, so this is the direction we're going. Continue in your faith. Do not move from the hope held out for you. That's where this is all headed. Let's roll back to the, to the very beginning, the first era. In the beginning, God created 
the heavens and the earth. God will create them again. In the Genesis story, if we read on, it says that whatever God created, he then saw that it was good. It will be good again. And folks, let me suggest that it's already getting good. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the... Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. When the creation story starts, it's water everywhere. It's chaos. You ever had flooding in your home? Chaos. Ever lived in an area that had flooding? It's chaos. This first one tells us this is the beginning of the creation story and what God did, and this is the starting point. But notice, the earth has no shape because it's just all water. What shape does water have? Darkness was over the surface of the deep. There's no light, but look at this. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And so begins the creation story. Folks, it's already getting good. May I suggest that the Spirit of God who is still being poured out is hovering over your chaos and mine. And already, if you look at your story, some seas have been removed and some of them have become lakes. And already some of those lakes are starting to look like ponds. Someday they'll just be puddles that will step in and they'll be gone because it's not only will be good, but it's getting good right now. Keep your faith. Live your hope. Yes? Let's pray together. Father, we see a vision that we long for. Peace. Your presence. With all those that we love. Lord, we, we see it. And we thank you, Lord, that by your grace, you enable us to participate in it. Lord, we thank you that your power is transforming the earth. You've transformed us. Continue your work through us, we pray. May we keep the faith. You're our Savior, Jesus. May we keep the faith. May we live our hope. And Lord, may we never forget that we're able to do this because we are confident that when Jesus died and rose again, he was setting a pathway for us. And someday we will rise again too and we'll be gathered in that great place. Lord, it will be good again. May we not lose our courage. We pray. And Lord, if there is someone watching in this room or online that is feeling drawn to faith in Jesus, may this be the moment that they say, okay, I want to, I want a part of this. I trust Jesus too. I want to start. Lord, may that be so. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite you to 
Stand with me, please. Stand with me, please. If Paul was here, second time I'm mentioning it. Paul, how, how do we finish something that we know, okay? Like there's still going to be some things we're going to face, but our, our confidence is strong. I'm thinking he might like to say, hey, you know, I wrote about this at the end of Romans chapter 8. This, th- this text many times has encouraged me. Uh, let's, let's use it as our closing scripture text this morning before our hosts come back and, and uh, send us on our way. Would you read it with me? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yes, that's good. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time.